Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Howes, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That is the publication that sponsors this show and makes it all possible. We're printing news, features, reviews and so much more every single month and we would love for you to check it out. If you enjoy these interviews on The Profile, you're sure to love Premier Christianity magazine. Get yourself a free copy now at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. All you have to do is give us your details, give us your address and we will pop the latest issue in the post to you completely free of charge and no strings attached. That's premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Now, a moment ago, you heard some music, and that music was Bryn Hayworth, the legendary guitarist, worship leader, singer, songwriter, and the uh, track that you heard played was Pass It On, one of his biggest hits. And the interview this afternoon you're going to hear was with Premier's very own Simon Tuck, and Simon's uh, delved into Bryn's uh, back catalogue, delved into his faith, his life, his career, and so much more. If you haven't heard of Bryn Hayworth before, he's a British Christian singer, songwriter, guitarist, and pioneer of Jesus music in mainstream rock. He was born in Lancashire. He's released over 20 albums ever since the 1970s, and he's still going now. Continues to tour in the UK, also has a prison ministry, which you'll hear him talk a little bit about as well. He's famous most of all for his guitar playing, especially slide guitar, and you'll hear him talk about that in the interview as well. So without any further ado, let me pass over to Simon Tuck for The Profile this afternoon with Bryn Howarth. You're listening to Premier Radio. It's me, Simon, on The Profile Show, and I'm talking with uh, Bryn Haworth. Can I start this profile by reading out a quote from John Ingham for Sounds Music Paper? And you might have to explain what that is to some people who don't know what that is. If you are to have a God rock, then let it be Bryn. He thinks of the music foremost. You owe yourself a listen. <laughs> well, uh, Sounds uh, was a, a music paper. There was lots of music papers like Melody Maker back in the 60s and he was a journalist for that for that period, and I think the thing is that um, because uh, my wife and I became followers of Jesus in '73, we uh, it was quite a, a, a thing in a way that for for an electric guitar player to to become a Christian in those days, and it wasn't really heard of in England, and uh, so um, they they were quite intrigued the journalists when they when they got my albums. My first solo album was in 70, well, it came out 74, I think. 
and uh, let the days go by. And then I had an album called Sunny Side of the Street, and they called me. The, my review for Sunny Side of the Street was Happy Howarth. And uh, they, they thought the solution for Happy Howarth was to take him, take him to an Indian restaurant, give him the hottest vindaloo curry there was, and then stand him out in the rain <laughs> afterwards. And that was sort him out, but, said, but basically we have to admit that the music is good. And so I think that was, that was very, I liked that interview. I thought it was a great um, report to, to give to me about me. Yeah. But, yeah, how lovely. I mean, it's lovely when people reflect back onto your to your music and give you some, uh, maybe not maybe critique, yes, but actually there's some always some favourable things in there somewhere along the line. Now, you, so you didn't become, you weren't a Christian when you were younger, that was quite late on in life then, with it being 1973? Yes, um, the, I, I was brought up um, in Lancashire in a place called Darwin between Blackburn and Bolton in the news at the moment, Blackman and Darwin. And, uh, and my parents, basically, they, it was that generation that you were made to go to church, but they didn't go with you kind of thing. They just thought it was a good thing, but I, I couldn't see anything in it at all. And so I was really glad to, to not go when I didn't have to go. And um, so I don't think anything really stuck as it were. And I, I really just wanted to make music. I got a guitar when I was 11 and pestered my parents for one. And then they, they sent me to lessons for a year, uh, classical guitar lessons, which were fantastic because it, I, I realized that the instrument could do so much more than I thought it could. And uh, so I had a, a good year of classical guitar uh, lessons. And then really uh, the rest of the time in the 60s, I was in bands. From a very early age, I would go be in working men's clubs in in various bands playing. I was underage, but um, it didn't seem to matter much then. But um, And then I got my first job when I left school. Uh, I was working in the paper mill. And, but basically I couldn't get up in the morning because I'd been up late at night playing in bands. And so I realized that something had to give and uh, my father and I weren't getting on. So basically we, I left uh, home and went to live in London when I was 17, 18 and uh, ended up on in Victoria bus station, sleeping there at night. Um, and then during the day looking for a job in a band. And in those days in Tottenham Court Road, Denmark, Denmark Street, they had music shops where, with ads saying wanted lead guitar player, vocalist. So I would queue up with all the other guitar players, do my audition and just hang around in the coffee bar. And um, eventually I got a phone call saying, would you like to join the band? And, and I got to sleep on their floor. They had a basement flat, and so I had somewhere to live. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, from then on, I'd just been playing professionally guitar in, in various bands and doing sessions uh, from that point. And I got to go to, I, I had a great time in the 60s in London um, uh, playing in, uh, we had a residency in a, band, in a place called The Speakeasy. Margaret Street, where all the Beatles and Hendrix and Clapton used to come in. I got to jam with people like uh, Jimi Hendrix. And and, uh, and then I wanted to go to America. So I, I left in 69, I went to America, lived there in California, joined bands there, and uh, had a great time playing Wolfgang. It was a band on, uh, managed by 
someone who, who used to manage the Fillmore West and Fillmore East, Bill Graham, and he managed us. And so it was all really, really happening. And then out of the blue, I had a dream. And uh, it was a really, really long dream, very powerful dream. And all these painful memories surfaced, a lot of hurt and fear and anger. Um, and at the end of each scene in this dream, a voice would say, did you understand this? And I would go, yes, I know. And it would move on to another one. And when I woke up the next day, it was about midday, 12 o'clock. And I was just completely shattered by this, this dream. And all that I knew is that I had to go back to England and get right with my dad, my father. And it was interesting because uh, I didn't like him. He didn't like me. We, I hadn't thought about him, spoken to him for years. And th but that thought was so strong that I, I bought a ticket back to England that same week, that same week and left the band, told the guys, I have to do this, which is remarkable. You know, I mean, from a dream, you think for a dream to change your direction in life so much, but it's that strong, that powerful. Went back to England uh, with Sally, who is my wife now, and uh, we ended up in, in Wales living there for, uh, in, in those days, if you, 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 if you wanted to write, you go to the country and chill out. And that's what we did. We went to North Wales and got a cottage. And, and then what happened then was, um, it's like this time now, this lockdown time, where you're suddenly pulled out of your normal existence. Your job has stopped. Uh, um, and uh, you're not in your normal daily routine and you've got all this time on your hands and you start thinking about your life. You start looking at your habits and you're thinking, why do I, for me, it's like, why do I drink some, why do I have to drink a bottle of wine a day? Why do I drink so much, do so much dope every day? You know, why am I so angry and fearful? Why am I so driven and so insecure? You know, and I would never have thought about these things before when I was busy with my job in California. But now I'd been set apart and I had time to look at And the other questions are, who am I? And what am I doing here? What's my purpose? Is, and it was, it was very, very scary in a way because I didn't have any answers. But I, then I got to the question, is there a God? And I thought, well, if there is a God, then he must want to communicate. I can't imagine a God creating everything and then just standing back and letting, watching it all go by. So I thought, well, the way to communicate would be to shout. <laughs> and so I went on long walks and shouting, God, are you there? If you are, you've got to let me know. And sheep would look at me, at me very strangely. But uh, I thought, no, I want to know. And my wife, Sally, she, she was chanting cross-legged. And I couldn't do that. But she, she was seeking God in her way. And what happened was we, we suddenly thought, well, if God is there, then this is a very scary thing. This is not healthy because he probably doesn't like people who play electric guitar, loud electric guitar, eat meat, drink, smoke dough. We've got to change our lives to make ourselves acceptable to God. And so we gave up drugs, we gave up drink, we became vegetarians. And then that wasn't pure enough, we became fruitarians. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, but we felt better in ourselves, but we still didn't know God, so we went back to smoking and drinking. Oh, and uh, anyway, um, a long story short, three years later, we 
you go for a drive and we see this circus tent in, in this field in East Sussex. And we went, oh, look, a circus. And I just drawn, for, for the, I just started painting. The first thing I ever painted that week, uh, the week of starting, was a red and white striped tent. And we will go for a drive and that week, and there's this red and white striped tent in the corner of the field. I thought, it's just like what I've painted. And so we went in and uh, we sat at the back so we could make a quick escape. <laughs> we didn't like it. And turned out it was a gospel meeting, not a circus. And uh, I couldn't understand anything to do with what the preacher was saying. It, his language was alien to me. I couldn't understand the words redeemed and salvation and things like that. But there was this banner over the front of the stage saying, Jesus, some of the words of Jesus, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I thought, well, you know, I've tried my way for 26 years and my way isn't working. Um, God, I think if God is ever going to be real to me, then I'm going to have to take a step of faith tonight. And so that's what I did. And you had to go to the front to be prayed for. And I, I remember just going to the front to be prayed for and then going out of that tent and looking up at the sky. And I thought, I'm home. I belong. Mm. And, uh, and that God was real. And it was just amazing. You know, I tried to adjust my life before and make myself acceptable, and that hadn't worked. I tried to be good. That didn't work. But this simple four-line prayer, and I walked out of that tent, and I knew that God was real. And this is what they call, that Jesus called being born of the Spirit, born again. That, uh, that you're a spirit, you live in a body, and when you welcome him into your life, your spirit comes alive to him. He comes and makes his home by his spirit. In your life, you become alive to God. God becomes real to you. And it's a genuine, very real experience, quite radical. Was that uh, true for, for your wife as well at the same time? Or then, because obviously you've both been searching at the same time. But had that night been true for both of you or just for yourself? Both of us, same night. Wow. Hmm. And uh, so, which was really a blessing because uh, if one of us had gone and the other, I mean, I, I, had to, I had to be dragged in a way. She she was the one who was really ready to go. And she said, come on, are you coming to the front? And I was holding on to her hand, <laughs> holding on to the chair. And I, I couldn't let go of either. And so my wife, me in the chair came to the front that night. And because uh, I was just, you know, as a man, you, you, your pride is involved. You think... Um, you know, I'm a legend in my own mind kind of thing. You know, I've just got my new album coming out. My solo career is starting. This isn't cool. Uh, but I just knew I had to do it. I knew that uh, there was life here and that I didn't have that. And so that was the, really the beginning of this whole journey of finding out who God really is and that, rather than how I imagined him, him to be. And it's been an ongoing Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about some faith in the future in just a moment. But I want to go back just to a couple of things that you, you just said there. So that relationship with your parents that you, you, you came back to England and did you resolve the issue with your father? I mean, was your relationship with your mother just as much always been better than just your dad? Or was it just a clash of, of who you were or? Well, uh, my parents divorced when I was 13. So my mother was went off with, uh, another man so that was the end of the family really and um, but I, I did have a, a better relationship with her than with my father my father was 
quite damaged from the Second World War that he, mentally he, was, he didn't talk very much and uh, wasn't able to communicate. And, you know, you understand those things in hindsight, but at the time he's just your dad and he just doesn't talk, you know. Uh, but when we came back to Wales, I mean, when I came back from California, I landed at uh, Heathrow. I, I drove straight up to Darwin, where my dad was living, knocked on the door, and he said, what do you want? <laughs> and that was the first, you know, I'd come back with all these kind of like hopes. I've got to get right with my dad. And he said, what do you want? And so I said, well, why don't we just go to the pub? Let's sit down and have a drink. So we went to the pub and it was really awkward, you know, he, I had my pint, he had his pint and we did, just didn't talk and I thought, what have I come back for? I've left a really good career here, playing in America, the band was great, we were doing well, I've left this to come and get right with you and you don't even want to know. And so it really freaked me out because I didn't think it would work out like that. But um, I, I tell you, when after I became a believer of something happened in my heart and I started to get feelings of, of love for my dad and I started to call him up on the phone and we'd have very stilty conversations and uh, and then I'd visit if I was up there in the north and just visit him it's still quite difficult uh, but really what happened over those years while he was still alive he, he died a few years ago um, our relationship got really much better. And, and you think, well, that's all God. You know, and you think that I didn't realize that, that God was called Father. And, uh, and that, that those words, I, go back to England, get right with your father, I think w was a really starting point for me from God saying, go back to you and get right with your dad. And then things will start to shift in your own life and then get right with, with your father too. And that happened to your heavenly father. So I'm really grateful to God for the stirrings and the changing of feelings of indifference, even really, I didn't really care for him. Or I didn't think about him to loving him. So by the time he died, uh, I loved him and uh, we had a relationship. It was never great. Um, easy relationship but that's just you know the characters that we are and uh, but God changed my heart and I think it's that scripture that he will turn the hearts of the children to the fathers the hearts of the fathers to the children is it Malachi uh, and that's a that's a true thing that happened to me he turned my heart towards my father and I think my father's heart was turned to me too yeah that is thank you Bryn that's really 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 lovely you've you've become a Christian then it's 73 who who are those Christian then musical influences around you then who are going to help you discover that actually your own music could be become Christian music without having to change your style or your or your ideas? Well, again, I was really blessed that the pastor of our uh, first church was a man called Eddie Purse, and it was a small Baptist church. Uh, welcome, it's called the Welcome in Heathfield, and uh, it was a small. He was an ex. Baptist minister, I think, but it was, uh, yeah, it was an evangelical church, but Eddie took a real interest in us. I don't think he'd ever met anybody like us before. And, uh, but it was great in counsel, great counseling for us. He gave us a lot of time, a lot of pastoral wisdom. And he took me to see Cliff Richard in Eastbourne. Uh, now I presume that Eddie knew Cliff 
but Eddie was such a an interesting character. He he, he I found out after he I didn't actually know Cliff, but he just kind of waltzed into the dressing room with me and so <laughs> and said hi, Cliff, and Cliff went hi as he was, you know, and. Uh, I said, this is Bryn Howard. He's just become a Christian. He plays electric guitar. And so I got on with Cliff quite well. <laughs> and, uh, and then the other influence, uh, real big help, was Garth Hewitt. Garth Hewitt, he was on the same bill that night in Eastbourne. And uh, he opened up, you know, with his big hairy chest and his blue denim shirt open and smashing his guitar and singing quite boldly, you know. And I loved, I loved Garth straight away. And... Uh, and Garth, he took us under his wing in the sense that he made sure that we were able to be ourselves and to keep on making the music that you make, but, uh, but let God guide you in what you sing about, as it were. And so at that time, it, I'd had my first album up and the second album was Sunnyside and Street and I got more uh, gospel-oriented lyrics. Um, like on that first album, there was just one song. There was a searching song. This one, I had songs like Good Job and really full on gospel songs. And uh, he encouraged me and, and protected me as, as it were to just to keep, to be yourself and just to keep following Jesus. And so those two really. Yeah, because you'd come from a, a musical background, both uh, in the UK, but also in America. And you've got this job in London, you're working down the speakeasy, doing bits and pieces. You have to be influenced by the music around you at that time as well. Who were those early influences that you would have like bought vinyl from? Um, well, there was all the guitar players, basically. But uh, the first real influence for me as a guitar player was a guy called Steve Cropper. And he was in uh, a band called Booker T and the MGs, the Green Onions, you know. Uh, yes, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. He uh, was in the Blues Brothers movie as well. He was. Steve Cropper for me was it. Yeah, I loved that sound. And I, and I wanted to be a psychedelic version of Steve Cropper. This was the 60s, you know. <laughs> so we were starting to experiment more with distortion and uh, playing uh, different styles. And then Jimi Hendrix came along. And, you know, when you see Jimmy Hendrix, when he came, first came to London, I saw him uh, play. And uh, you think, when you experience him playing, right, like three feet away from you and hearing that, you go, wow, this is something. Eric Clapton, all the usual suspects, you know, that, that were really just breaking through into a new kind of uh, guitar playing style. Because up to that point, it had been quite clean and restricted but they these guys were getting very free in their playing and their sound and it was all opening up everything that you hear now is just rooted in in those early 60s you know but the guys like Hendrix and Clapton they would learn from Freddie King and B.B. King uh, who had ten tendency to have a cleaner sound but they took it uh, uh, just played louder and so those yeah. are the guys for me but um, when I went to America uh, I was exposed to more, more and more guitar players, uh, Santana, all these guys. But Peter Green was out there too, the the Fleetwood Mac. But I think it's all the usual suspects. And then, but then I I heard a guy called Ray Cooter, who uh, plays slide, uh, and his first album was really influential for me. I thought, well, that's good because I started out playing slide when I I left Darwin, as it were, because I didn't know how to bend strings. 
because guitars in those days came with very thick, heavy strings, and you couldn't really bend the notes. And so I read an article about about slide guitar, bottleneck guitar, and how you used a piece of glass or a washer or a piece of metal on your finger. And so when I came down to London, that's how I played guitar. I played slide. And then I saw everybody had uh, light gauge strings, and so I chucked it away. So when I heard Raikuda again, I thought, no, slide. I remember that. It's a beautiful thing to do, and you can make it very tuneful and melodic. And uh, it opened up a whole area for me again and I was in a two guitar band and I thought well Cilia's doing the same thing so I'll play slide and you can play regular uh, guitar and so that's how I got back into playing slide. So you've rooted yourself now you've got these albums you've met Cliff Richards you're in the 80s what would you say a memorable moment from the 80s was for you? I'd like to say your I when I became a Christian in 87 you were a big influence in my life because I loved your material because it wasn't the normal run-of-the-mill Christians worshipy thing. It was actually a little bit more, it was a bit more where I was at because I was into Quo, I was into kind of like ACDC, I was into Led Zepp. I was kind of, I had grown in that era of like Motorhead and the Beeple and I needed yeah. someone to represent that kind of music in the in that um in the christian world as well and so i want to say thank you first of all but but the 80s was like a, a sort of a, a a sparse time really of christian artists that were doing anything too different mm. uh, i was thrilled i mean i'd just come out of a contract in 79 with with a and i'd done two albums for them grand arrival and keep the ball rolling and uh, it got sticky with A&M because um, they realized that, you know, songs like Grand Arrival, talking about the second coming, weren't, wasn't incredibly commercial. And uh, I realized that it wasn't great business for them. And uh, I thought, I just need, if I want to carry on singing stuff that I want to sing, I'm going to have to go on another label. And fortunately, uh, uh, in 80, Chapel Lane, started the new christian label uh, with rob andrews and rob had a studio in Her in herefordshire and i got signed to chapel lane and it was great because you had norman barrett there had you had uh who else was there sheila walsh came eventually mark what's he called i can't remember but uh, there was a it was a good little stable as it were and for the first time i was able to do an album that I was able to be myself completely on and that was The Gap. At that time, 1980-81, and we did The Gap and I did it with uh, Eric Clapton's band because a couple of them had got saved. You know, working, I'd been working with them before and God had moved in their lives and they got saved. And so, and I, I had Chris Stainton too on keyboards and Bruce Rowland, great musicians, great musicians. And we did that album, The Gap, and then we did, on the back of that, we did, um, my first worship album 1984 called wings of the morning uh and because uh, i really started being realized how much i love to sing to god and i would go up in my room and and sing the, at that time you suddenly i started had songs like i love you lord and i lift my voice uh with lyrics basically it was christian song worship songs that were actually telling god that you loved him now that was unheard of it was all about God. The lyric was about it, about Him, mm. and majesty, and everything. But there was nothing intimate, nothing personal. 
And uh, I think it was the time when Maranatha music was coming out and John Wimber was involved in that, I know. But uh, I suddenly got hold of these songs and I could sing, I could tell God I loved him and I got really love that. And, uh, and then I wanted to do a worship album myself, just to, to, to worship and we did Wings in the Morning and then Pass It On. And that was an, another album with Chapel Lane and then I did Mountain Mover. Yeah. And, and goals. So the 80s were actually a really good creative period for me. Uh, and there was lots of work around, lots of concerts as well. Uh, and so it was a great time. Do you want to stay informed on the best of what's happening in the UK church today? Premier Christianity magazine is for you. The UK's leading Christian magazine is published every month and features interviews with Christian leaders, in-depth reporting, reviews, columnists, and loads more. And best of all, you can try it for free. Head to our website now to request the latest edition worth £5.95, completely free of charge. Visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. How did you, with your wife, continue faith um, in these times? Were you missing America? Had you heard God specifically say something to you during that period of time? Had you said, no, I'm not going back now. I'm just going to stay with the UK. Is this, this is where God was. Or did you ever have a moment where you go, God, why aren't you sending me back? Or why aren't we going back to, to what we first started with? Well, I think at one point we did try to go back and it just didn't happen. Uh, with the whole visa thing and uh, we couldn't make it happen but at the same time uh, we were going to a church in Hounslow called Holy Trinity Hounslow and the vicar there John Barter was magnificent he was he was just a wonderful wonderful man he, unfortunately he's not with us anymore but he was charismatic filled with the spirit and allowed so much freedom and I remember um, I went back to America just as a visit, just to see some friends. And we, the, the owner of a music shop in Westwood, in Los Angeles, um, was called Fred Walecki, and he'd become a Christian. And we, I knew him well, because he used to buy stuff from the shop all the time. And he knew that I'd become a Christian. And so he said, well, take, I'll take you to my church. And so we went to, uh, uh, it was pre-Vineyard, it was called, uh, Ken Gullickson uh, ran it. And, um, and uh, he and I heard people singing these wonderful worship songs, you know, and uh, I, I learned as many as I could because I knew that something was happening in the midst of these people that I'd never experienced the presence of God. And um, I was aware that these songs were were helpful in in this whole thing of of meeting with God and draw him drawing us into a closer and intimate, more intimate relationship with him. And then, uh, so I learned them in the car going back to the airport, Fred was singing to me, I was taping them. And I took them back to Holy Trinity Hounslow and started to uh, play them and introduce them into the church there, into small house groups. And uh, the same thing happened. The presence of God just felt, you know, you'd be singing like, isn't he beautiful? beautiful oh isn't he which is a song i didn't like at the time but <laughs> i didn't understand i didn't know god in that way and uh but i could see the presence of god was on people those people moved to tears as well there's a deeper thing going on through these songs these songs were helping people to engage with god in a way that they hadn't done previously and john was wonderful he, he would encourage more and more worship and we had 
We had worship meetings in our house for, for non you know, any denomination could come. We had an open house and did worship meetings just to learn how to worship and how to go more deeper in this time. So the whole thing of going back to America kind of fell by the wayside, really, because we were really moving forward uh, at that time. So you on that journey with God throughout and just him just saying, look, America's just been put on hold. Has there been a moment over the last um, decades or so, though, when there's been tough moments with God? Has there been a moment where perhaps you've gone, because you're telling me about like God is at work and God is moving, but that's not life like that all the time, is it? No, no. I mean, the, there's obviously the trials and, and um, things that you go through in life, you know, like trying to buy a house or trying to sell a house or relationships that, that happen. But it, I think in, in these times, we're just, I think it's just learning to, to, uh, to trust God because you've experienced that he's, you know, right from the beginning, when we first became Christians in 74, I had to test in a way the word of God, whether, did you really mean that you would provide for us? because we don't we don't have i'm a musician i have no work i have no money uh i mean one of the things uh, is that i told the record company sunny side of the street island records i said i'm waiting i'm going to become a missionary and so i was waiting for my call to go to africa because i thought that's what you should do Mm -hmm. and uh and they said okay right well we're not putting your record out then (laughs) so what happened was I, we got poorer and poorer. We didn't have any money at all. And, that, and I thought, no, I've got to stay true to this call of God to go to Africa and be a missionary. And, and um, we realized that, that we needed money and I, and I didn't know how to do that. And suddenly, we didn't tell anybody in the church that we needed money at all, but so, it was amazing that how God provided. Suddenly, we didn't lock our cars in those days. And, Open up the corridor one, there was an envelope in the cup with money in there. And then there was one time that I wanted to buy, it was Sally's birthday, and I wanted to buy her a meal. I wanted to buy her a lobster. <laughs> and I kept reading the scripture and saying, Lord, it says that you provide all I need. <laughs> and I thought, I know this isn't a need, but I just love Sally and I would love to give her something nice. And then I, caught, I kept waiting for money coming through the door or something, but nothing happened. On the day of her birthday, her, her mother called up and said, are you coming up to the house? I've got some lobster for you. <laughs> so I thought, you, so I'm learning right from the first year that you can trust God. You can trust him. You, you don't have to worry. You can trust him. Just pray, give him, you tell him your needs and uh, uh, all these. And, and obviously not everything comes, but... Okay. Uh, but um, I think in in life, I mean, obviously, you know, friends and families uh, are dying and losing people is, is always a hard experience. But generally, I think we, we had a good relationship. That Sally and I had a good relationship, and we also had a good relationship with the Word of God. Yeah. We were able to, start to keep trusting Him. Has obviously had a huge influence, and people around you have had a huge influence on you. But I imagine you've also had people get in contact with you, Bryn, and say, Look, your music has had an influence on my life, and, and this is the story that I want to tell you. Do you have a story that you could share with us? 
uh, what people come ask saying that. Yeah, saying about your music, saying how you know what, Bryn, your music has had a a big influence on my life, and this is this is the story behind it. Or maybe somebody was about to do something and they heard your music and they their life changed or they moved on. Or well, yeah, I don't tend to really focus on that at all. Really, I just kind of I'm I'm very thankful. I'm very grateful, but I just really feel that I'm called. To, I just feel is to get on with what you do. Okay. And don't look at other people, appears or whatever. Just get on with what you do. Run your own race. Keep close to God. Keep doing what you feel God is telling you to do with that. And uh, if anything good c- comes from it, then fantastic. It's great. But, um, I mean, I, I'm very pleased when, because we work in prisons. We've been working in prisons for over thir- well, 30 years now. And so when an inmate says uh says to me that song really opened me up like a can opener kind of thing it's not like one of these nice modern ones but like a can opener that you rip round and it opened him up and uh, got him thinking about god and started to uh make his uh, life differently and more receptive to god it, if i think if people are able to start this dialogue and this conversation with with the Lord through through songs, if that starts them off and gets them going and encourages them, that's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. But so I am where, sorry. Yeah, go on. Well, I was going to say, well, where does where did prison ministry come from? Is it just something that came out of the blue, or did God specifically say to you, or did one day you just got invited to a prison to play? Or no, it it, it was again. This was the eighties, which was a very again creative time. But I was I was finding that. As busy as I was, and um, I loved leading worship, I loved doing, because by that time I was starting to do, we just started to do New Wine in 89, conferences, you know, uh, like that, and leading worship for big groups of people. But um, as much as I loved this, I found that I was getting bored. There was something in me that was, I was losing I was losing my love for God, and I don't know how that happened. It's just because I was doing all the right things, ministry, and and I loved what I was doing, but I was drifting, and I felt I felt my heart was getting very hard. And I wrote a song about it in, in '89. It's, it's called "Give Me Your Heart," which is a very honest song, and um, explains where I was at. But at the same time, I was reading the Bible. I'm reading the Gospels, and I came across Matthew 25, the sheep parable of the sheep and the goats, and, and verse 36, you know, the, I was in prison and you visited me. And I loved that. And uh, I went, um, I thought, oh, I'd love to go to, into prison. If this, because I was just looking at the subject to minister to Jesus, and I thought, is this the way to minister to Jesus, to be, you know, even though I love what I'm doing, is this a, is this a good way to do it? And, um, and my heart leapt when I, every time I read that. And, uh, but then I talked myself out of it. I said, well, what would you do? You're just a musician. You don't know anybody in prison. You don't know how to get in prison. And I talked myself out of it and forget about it. But then every time I read the scripture over a period of three years, my heart leapt. And I thought, I, gotta, I would love to do that. And what happened was we joined the Vineyard Church in Southwest London Vineyard, the first vineyard in England. And uh, the pastor, it was only like just bigger than a house group, the church at that time. And the pastor took me on as um, a part-time worship leader to get the worship up and running. 
buy equipment and just and also start a prison ministry now it's just the weirdest thing 89 90 nobody was doing prison ministry but he said i want you to start a prison ministry i thought right okay i was cornered and so i had to do it <laughs> and so I, I got in my office and i said uh, i called up all the uh the chaplains in the prisons in london and said um uh, my name's Bryn Harris, can I come in and can we come in? And they all said no, except for one, David Cairns, who was a church army chaplain in Wandsworth. They said, yeah, come along, I'll show you what happens uh, on a Wednesday chaplaincy meeting. So we went in, saw what happened for the hour meeting, and then as we were coming out, and he was rattling keys and opening doors, he turned around and he looked at me in the eyes and he said, right, you do it next week. And I went, okay. And uh, so I went back to the church and said that we need a group of people who will come with me in prison. And so I gathered a group of about five uh, girls and, and men, men and women and uh, trembling individuals. And we went in and I did a couple, the next week I did a couple of worship songs. I did some testimony songs. And after half an hour, I'd run out of stuff to do. And I said to the one of the girls in the group, I said, what should we do? And she went, does anybody here need prayer? And all the hands shot up. All the guys in the room shot their hands up. And so for the next half hour, we were just praying for, for one another. And that's basically what we do now still. We've been doing for 30 years, and that's how it started. I, you know, it wasn't something that I was seeking, but I would say that I feel called to do it. I'm just finishing off a, a new CD for prison, and we've done this will be the third uh, okay. that we give away free in, in prisons. And it's just made for them with, in, in mind, and it's called Peace and Understanding. And on this uh, particular album, uh, I've got a song that's co written with an inmate, which is the first for, for me. And he, he had become a new believer, and I knew him quite well, but, and he was struggling and his, his walk with God, and he wrote this poem, and, and he just handed me this piece of paper with this uh, poem on it. I looked at it, and I thought, I can do something with this, I can put music to it. And so I've, I've put music to it, and uh, we've recorded it on this new, on this CD, and, and I hope that it's gonna be a real influence and a, and a help to get m more creativity out of uh, our inmates, that, that they can do more creative things and be an encouragement to them. The song is called Answer My Prayer. So when we get it, I'll, I'll, I could send it to you if you'd like to hear it. Wow, that is, I, I love the, the way sometimes you're thrust into doing something um, yes. by, and it just suddenly becomes the thing that actually, you know, you're, you're meant to be involved in uh, as well. But yeah, you have a love of conservation as well. You wrote a song about trees about a year ago, over a year ago now. Yeah. What, is, what is the passion behind that? Um, well, what happened was the, the, we have a small area in the back here where we live, uh, historic woodland, and it's about 200, 300 years old. And it's the last vestige of a wood that used to stretch miles up here in Epsom. And, uh, we heard that, uh, plant, uh, these, uh, builders have bought one of the houses on the street with the aim to knock it down and build drive through and build 11 new city-style houses in these gardens and knock all these trees down. And uh, we didn't know about it, except the, one, the next door neighbor who to this house told us, and she was very upset, she was in tears. And uh, 
so basically we we just felt, got swept into the battle to save the, the, basically the trees because they're magnificent Austrian pines, beech trees. They're really huge, hundred foot tall, beautiful things, and and uh, they were just going to wipe them out. And uh, we thought, no, you know, we've got to fight this. And but we found that most people were. We became default leaders of a campaign really on our street, and. Um, we thought, felt most people were so apathetic about it. So, oh, well, the government, they just get their way in the end. What's the point? And I thought, no, you can't let people roll over. You've got to fight. And so, so we had meetings in our house and got the whole, you know, we've been here for 20 years and we hardly know, knew any of the neighbors <laughs> after 20 years. It's that kind of very English, you know, you just shut the door and you go in. Nobody really talks except about the weather. And uh, but now we know everybody in the street. We've got WhatsApp group. We've got all sorts of things. So because of this uh, campaign for the trees, uh, because now we're in COVID, we've got this network and community and on our street already are going, and we look, we're able to look after each other and uh, the elderly provide food for and shop and still. And uh, so it worked out really well. But we we got the neighbors rally. We did. Uh, did letters through the, those who don't have the internet here, we put letters through the door and say, you know, this is happening, Let, you, have a, you have a vote, you have a chance to object, you know, online if you can, we'll do it for you, if you can't do it, if you're too elderly and haven't got a computer. Mm. And so we, we got about 130, people, 130 objections and the council turned it down the first time, which was brilliant, and then it went to Bristol, and then Bristol has turned it down too. So. It's been good, and I got a song in the midst of it. I was so upset, so upset. I was in tears, and, the, and I came down, I sat down at my desk, had a guitar there, and I got this song, Enough is Enough, in about 20 minutes, the whole thing. And I thought, you know, maybe we can use this in part of the campaign and um, get it on the radio and things. And so um, I recorded it quickly, straight away, and I had a friend who worked for the BBC and did uh, videos for National Geographic. And he loved the song. And he said, oh, I'd love to do a video. And we did it really quickly and got it out. And uh, I think it helped. We got a bit, few plays, but it is hard to get uh, these environmental things on, on TV because I think it's boring for people. I think it, it's a good thing, you know, but they, they want something a bit more exciting. But... You're, the earth, the, the music of the trees being silenced and the earth being ravaged is, isn't, isn't enough of a thrill for people, I don't think. But, but anyway, I did the song, got it going, and uh, it's turned out good. And, you know, the birds are still singing in the trees for now, but who knows if and when the nice. developers may return. But at, at this time, we're, we're free of it. And I'm glad that we... Again, it was just something we had to do. We felt called to do it and to become leaders. Yeah. Of it. So it's, it's yeah. I mean, it's about listening to God throughout the whole of your life, isn't it? It's you, mm. you heard in stages, and right now, in the last you know two years or so, you're hearing God about something new around you, as well as you know still being interested in that kind of music side of this as well. Bryn, we, you and I are on a car journey and you've got your Spotify app or your music app open or whatever. Um, who, are, who should we be listening to as we drive down the motorway? Ah, well, I tell you what, we've been doing a lot of jigsaws in this uh, 
this lockdown period and it's a perfect time to put on CDs. If you've got a CD collection, do a jigsaw, thousand piece jigsaw, put some music on, you go through your whole collection really quickly. But I tend to, I'm listening to, uh, there's a Paul Simon, Paul Simon album, which is, uh, I really like it. It's from 2018, it's called In the Blue Light. And it's a kind of, a, it's been missed by people. Uh, but it's, it's some of his older songs that he re, he's redone in a different way. And it's a great album, uh, that, that album. Uh, I love Bob Dylan's new album. I think that's a great album too. You always, always is quite deep with him, makes you think. Uh, for general listening, I just brought an old Leon Russell called Hank. Hank is back, How, Hank Wilson's back. And it's all the country stuff. And I was listening to, again, another one, I was listening to Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, that, uh, that from that film, the music from that film. So oh, wow. Quite, and I love, um, love Boz Skaggs. Boz Skaggs is a great, if you want to just settle in a good mood, an easy, bluesy type, but really well, great guitar playing and singing, Boz Skaggs is always gets it for me. So and, it's a quite a mixture. And I look over to you as I'm driving you, and we're listening to these CDs, which you made a nice compilation album. Thank you. Um, what are the snacks you bring in? Snacks. I, I actually like, um, well, I actually like those, these cereal bars, you know, the, there's some really nice ones that are really squidgy, not, not crunchy. And they're quite soft. You know, they have blueberry, banana kind of thing. Yeah. And they're quite neat, easy and non-messy because these cereal bars in the car are just such a pain. They go everywhere. um so look Britain, you're in the top 50 so um it's a cover of the song what a friend we have in jesus tell me about the the passion behind the song and maybe a story well uh what a friend we have in jesus is a very popular song in prisons when when i leave worship in prison you need songs that uh engage people quickly and that song has a resonance. Uh, if there's a black population there, a lot of the black guys have, have been in church. They've got a church connection. And so they know that song. I do it in a reggae style if I do it in a church situation, in a prison situation. But um, it's a powerful song. It connects quickly and uh, it connects them quickly to God. It's like I stand amazed in the presence. You know, that's another one. How marvelous. It's something that draws people into worship quickly. And what a friend does that too and um i i've always loved it uh, uh, but um it's turned up in a, a couple of different situations for me uh, i was doing a gig in uh norwich in the cathedral and it wasn't in the main cathedral it was in a, a back room and the, i was doing a sound check and the, the caretaker there was sweeping up around me while i was doing my sound check and i started singing what a friend we had in jesus and he stopped he looked up I didn't say anything, carried on sweeping. But after the concert, he, he said, that song woke me up. That, was, that came from my childhood. I remember that song, The Water Friendly Having Jesus. And it opened up the whole conversation with him. And we were able to lead him to the Lord that night. And that was just through the song. It woke him up. And another story is, um, this is I've done a lot of work with a guy called Jerry Rafferty, uh, who's a musician. He's, he, he's again, he died nearly 10 years ago but he did uh, Stuck in the Middle with You and uh, Baker Street. Baker Street was, was the big one and every while every once in a while as a pro- professional musician you get treats 
And working with him was a treat, both on a musical level and also the fact that he liked to go to exotic locations to record. So one summer he took us to Barbados to have a week in Barbados at Eddie Grant's studio. But the thing is, I might as well have been in uh, Clapham for as much of Barbados that I saw because the work schedule was really heavy. You start at lunchtime and you go right through to three or four in the morning and uh, it just wouldn't stop. No. And, but we did have moments of playtime in the studio, which were uh, where, you, where you get this opportunity to, to play past the guitar. Now, Jerry, would, he loved this, this game and that he'd sing the song on acoustic and then he'd pass it to the next person. You have to sing the song, which is quite intimidating when you think, yeah. <laughs> when you hear his voice and you hear the songs that he sings and then he said, okay, Brent, here's the guitar, you, know, you sing me a song. <laughs> and I, I remember that one time my mind went completely blank. And the only thing that came out was this, the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And I, I started to play What a Friend. And, all, and there was a lot of dope smoking going on in those days. And not, not with me, but, uh, but the place was filled with dope. And I was going, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And I was playing it like you'll hear it um, mm. now. But um, I was playing it like that. And, now, and I've experienced this many times now. The presence of God filled that room just cleaned the room of all the dope smoke and, and filled the room with his presence. And everyone went quiet. And when I finished, everybody in that room said, yeah, man, that's what I believe too. And the, from the raster man engineer with dreadlocks down to his waist and to Jerry, they were going, yeah, man, that's what we believe too. That's what we believe too. It was, it was remarkable. It was really a beautiful moment. And I was thinking that song does strike a resonance in just this whole thing of, you know, we belong. We belong to God. First and foremost, we belong to God. Then we believe and then we change it and our behavior changes. But first of all, he's saying, come home. You belong. This is who you are. You have a friend who is for you, not against you. And so, Would you like to introduce the song for us? Uh, this is uh, uh, the song, my arrangement of What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus All our sins and griefs to bear what a privilege to carry Everything to God in prayer Oh, what peace we often forfeit Oh, what needless pain we bear All because we do not carry Everything to God in prayer just gonna fade that beautiful song there because we don't want to fall foul of any copyright issues do we my thanks to simon tuck and of course to bryn howarth as well for that fascinating interview and here on the profile podcast as much as it pains us to fade that music we would encourage you to check out bryn's 
music and ministry perhaps you want to get hold of that song or one of his albums it's all available at brynhoworth.com that's brynhoworth.com so why not do that and a final reminder as well you can get yourself a free copy of Premier Christianity magazine that's our website premierchristianity.com we'll see you same time same place next week right here on the Profile Podcast as one last thing you could do that would really help us out if you did enjoy that interview or the other interviews that we've been doing we'd really appreciate it if you give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast it helps other people to discover the show and it means a lot to us so why not take the time to do that now a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast all right thanks so much for joining us we'll see you next time god bless